0: So, a little bit of truth here. If I ever stop love and life coaching, this might be my second calling. And if you've been following me for a long time, you know that I love personal finance. I like talking about it. I love thinking about it. I love helping my friends with it. And I love managing my own personal finances. And I was always really into saving money. And I think that was something that I learned early on in my childhood, just with some money habits, my parents um, set up with me. And I talk about this in the episodes, I won't get into it now. But I never really got into it until I got my first job, which is, you know, relatively normal. Um, But part of the reason why I'm so passionate about personal finance is because I think it's one of the best ways to feel more empowered in your life even if you don't make a lot of money. Now, I know a lot of people out there, many of you listening will say, oh, I'm broke, I don't have enough money, I'm underpaid, I'm all of these things. And well, maybe some, some of that might be objectively true, although I think the feeling of broke is quite subjective, I think that we, in fact, do have a lot more control over our money and how we feel about our money and how we can use our money to serve us than we think we do. And we think that stuff is just for the rich people or the people who have a million dollars or whatever amount of money, arbitrary amount of money that's in your head. So here's the most important thing if you want to begin to change your relationship to money and feel richer today. And that is how you spend your money is nothing more than a values statement. So it's not a bank statement, it's a value statement. And one thing that I have my private clients do and my group clients as well, is I have them write down what is value, what they value in their life. I call it their sacred seven. So what are the seven most sacred areas of their life? And then I want them and we're talking more about time. And I want them to see how their time like how their schedule matches to that. And you can do the same thing with your money. So this is a fun little exercise to do is list out your five to most seven sacred areas of your life. It might be family, friends, health, relationships, career, um, spirituality, personal development, you know, all sorts of things, right? And then print out your last three bank statements and see where you're spending your money. And is there alignment or is there a lack of alignment? And if you haven't been mindful about your money and scared to look at your bank statements or don't want to think about it or just think you're broke or um, – have three ways in, with Ben and Jerry um, more often than not, then there's a good chance that your money is not truly aligned with your sacred seven, which is ultimately how you want to live your life. And then when it comes to the things that you do want to purchase, like maybe you wanted to join the boot camp or do coaching with me, you don't have money for it. And then you feel poor and you feel broke and it's not fun. And it's a really crappy cycle to be in. So since I started my first job in my 20s, I've had a system where I decided how much money I spend on groceries, clothes, going out, etc. And I put money away for retirement and I put a small small amount of cash away each month to build an emergency fund. I had no money. Um, so I wanted that. And then I... Very much value traveling, especially international travel, but just travel in general. So I opened up a separate bank account where I could just put a small amount of money into that account every month um, for and that was specifically for traveling. And these amounts don't have to be big, so start where you are. If it's putting $25 away a month, then perfect because it adds up over time, and over time you'll be able to see, especially as your spending begins to align more with your values. You'll probably have more money to put towards retirement or emergency fund or um, other goals like if travel, or something is big for you, or personal development, or things like that. And as your bank account grows and as you're able to purchase things that you wouldn't normally be able to purchase if you're living more paycheck to paycheck, I promise that you'll begin to feel more empowered with your money. I've always said that, you know, before I started my business, I never had a job that I made over $55,000 a year. And yet, despite that, I was still able to take two international trips. Um, Within a span of just a few years, I paid for all of my reschooling to uh, become a health coach, and then a life coach, and to do a yoga teacher training. This is all stuff that costs thousands and thousands of dollars. And No way I could have afforded this without having these, you know, these many goals that I had every month, where I was just putting small amounts of cash away every month. Does that mean that I was not going out as much? Absolutely. But I just realized that like going out and eating a bunch of food that probably wasn't that healthy and drinking a bunch of alcohol just weren't really values for me. Yes, I love a good Chardonnay. You guys all know that. <laughs> so I still definitely drink a glass of Chardonnay, but it's not like it's a significant part of my budget because ultimately would I have a, rather have a glass of Chardonnay or a drink every weekend or be able to afford international travel? And for me, it was international travel, right? And that was just my own... You know value statement, but it could be something different for, uh, for you. So I want to walk you through um, your personal finance and how you can feel more empowered with your money, no matter how much or how little you make. So to help us with that, I've invited my friend Katie onto the show today. And Katie Hogan is the founder and president of Hogan Financial Planning. And she's also the author of, and I love this title, The Millennials Guide to Getting Your Shit Together. The funny financial planner blog and host of Get It Together with the Katie Hogan podcast. So she's on a mission to empower young women through financial literacy. I love this. Uh, she has a unique approach combining both humor and relatability to teach personal finance and career career building skills. So before I bring on Katie, I want you to consider these questions as you're listening in. When was the last time you looked at your bank account? What's your relationship to money? does the thought of money make your stomach turn? Do you get down to $0 or whatever that number is in your bank account and have no idea where it all went? And do you avoid opening bills in the mail? And are you potentially leaving some money on the table at work? All right, so keep these questions in mind as we listen into my interview with Katie and enjoy. All right, and we are back in the show, and I've got Katie with me, so welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to have you. I think this is such an important topic that a lot of times women, we just don't talk about it, whether we have like some baggage around money, stories, shame, whatever it is, so I'm super excited to get all of these issues out into the open, hopefully and um, clear up some misunderstandings and myths, and also give you some action steps to have better financial security and health for yourself. So um, we're going to get into all of this good stuff, but can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world in case
1: my audience doesn't know you? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Katie Hogan, and I am the founder of Hogan Financial Planning. Um, And what I do is mostly focus on helping women and young professionals. Generally, most of my clients are all under 40. um, And I help them become more financially literate. I do financial planning for them. I I do a little bit of investment management. Um, But my main goal is to make sure that all of my clients are uh, prepared to build a financial foundation for themselves and become more confident in their financial decisions and just give them the tools that they need to uh, successfully um, reach whatever, whatever goals they may have. I love
0: that. And I don't know if I mentioned while we were talking offline, um, I'm like a personal finance nerd. <laughs> nice, I nice. love it. Like, I'm such like a planner, my after my first, my first full time job that I got in my 20s. I was like, Oh, my God, I get like this much money every month, I must be able to spend tons of money. And then like, I like <laughs> looked at it, I'm like, oh, Okay, now I see how this all goes. But I just became mm-hmm. a student of personal finance. And I read like Susie Orman, Ramit Sethi, all those those people. That's
1: exactly what I did as well. Um, I graduated um, uh, almost 10 years ago from college and I had a lot of financial or student loans and I got a job and then I was just like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. So so I started uh, researching um, how to manage my finances and I, I just became obsessed with it and I realized that there was so much that I didn't know that I needed to know mm-hmm. and that I couldn't be the only one that didn't know these things and that there are probably a lot of other people who yeah. really need this information. So that's kind of like wh- how I started doing all of this and, and uh, got into this profession and then um, just wrote a book um, and it's called The Millennials Guide to Getting Your shit together. <laughs> you, can, you can say whatever you want on. Okay. This all right. Yeah, I was sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's called The Millennials Guide to Getting Your Shit Together. And it is that's exactly what it is. It's about it's essays on money, career, and relationships in your twenties and thirties. Um and, and kind of how they're all related a bit. So um yeah, that's that's awesome. it's a very personal journey for me. So cool. hope I can help a few people.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um so for everyone listening, I have the links to everything including the Amazon link to this book on my show notes, which you can grab over at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. Um, I just want to say one thing that I don't think I've ever told this audience. I know I've talked about it before on my blog, but I think that predated my podcast. Um, So I don't know where I figured this out, but when I was like probably 12 or 13, I used to read this magazine called American Girl. You know, mm-hmm. like the, then there's like the regular men girls like Molly and Felicity and like I know there's like now like a million more. Anyways, I think at least this is where my sister says she thinks I got the idea from. But this allowance system starting when I was 13, my parents gave me 10 times my age for allowance every month. And that sounds like a lot of money, right? Because like a 13 year old now I'm getting $130 a month from my parents. And then it just went on up and we did it through college but the catch is, is that the only things I don't have to pay for growing up were like I don't have to pay for room and board, <laughs> so I got to stay at <laughs> my parents' house for free. Um, they paid for medical stuff, and that might have been pretty much it. And so everything else I was responsible for. So if I needed like a new winter jacket, or I needed to pay for a school field trip, or I was going to a friend's birthday party and to buy a present, like I had to figure it out. And it only took like a couple of months for me to realize that on the first of the month, I couldn't go to the mall (laughs) and blow my $130. But you know, like in my head, I was thinking, okay, if I want this jacket to $100, that means I need to put like $20 away for five months. And then I still have money left over to go to the movies to my friends or buy a birthday present or whatever. So I think that was helped me so much because then when I was an adult, I my mind automatically went to like, okay, like, what can I afford? What do I need to save? Like, where can I spend my money that feels good? Anyways,
1: so anyway, that's great. Wow, those are that that's a really great lesson to learn as a kid, because a lot of times, we're learning those lessons in our 20s. And it's, very costly to learn those lessons later in life yeah i have to say like that
0: was probably the best and it was funny because i know i brought it up to my parents to to do this and they were both skeptical at first they're like that's a ton of money for a 13 year old to get but then when i broke (laughs) it down like you don't have to pay for anything i'll never ask you for any money um and, and then my parents thought that my little sister would take the money and just go to the candy store because at the time she was like <laughs> 9 or 10. That's all she ate. <laughs> but we both figured it out pretty quickly. And I have to say we're both pretty good with our, with our money. Like we're good at saving. We're good at budgeting. We're good at like – also I think what's really important is the mindset, like knowing the value of, mm-hmm. of money, like what a dollar will buy, you know. I think – anyways, um, just wanted to throw that – out there that I love that. Yeah, I totally plan to do that with with my kids, assuming my husband's okay with that, but he will be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. So let's move, move on. So I would love to hear so a lot of people listening to this show um, are single, or maybe in a relationship, and it may or may not be getting, um, getting serious. But I think something that's always on women's minds is like, okay, how can I Financially be secure and set myself up to, um, you know, not get trapped in a relationship because of money or just things that I need to have in place before a relationship. So I know you have some suggestions and I would love to um, for you to share that with the audience.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I think this really starts um, early on. And if, 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 even if you can start your financial education as a child, that's the best. But if you didn't get a financial education as a child, it's never too late to start, you know, just go down to your library, check out a few books. Um, and I, I blog a lot as well and talk a lot of, about, um, different books that are really great for financial literacy and personal finance. And, um, yeah, like, so we were just talking about Susie Orman and all that. So that those, mm-hmm. those are great places to start when you're young and you're single um, you have to build yourself a foundation, a financial foundation, and that really begins with your financial education, um, getting yourself an emergency fund set up, and then learning how to uh, participate in your your employer's 401k plan or whatever retirement plan, learning how that works, and then uh, we live in a day and age where, where apps can help us in every way, shape and form. So I really always suggest people um, track their spending, you don't necessarily need to do a, a strict bud- budget, but it's important to know where your dollars are going, and that you give every dollar a job. So just oh, I three, love that. Yeah, yeah, every dollar needs a job, whether that's paying for your groceries, or, you know, paying for our martini on a Friday night, it doesn't matter what the job is, but you just have to know, what that dollar's job is. Um, And and so that's a great place to start uh, to build your own financial foundation. And the most important thing you can do is to set goals for yourself. So I always talk about setting smart goals. So specific, measurable, attainable, reasonable, and Mm time-based. And so the more specific you can set your goals and you should have, you know, short-term goals, intermediate goals, and long-term goals. um, and, And it doesn't, matter if your long term goals are seem crazy or whatever it's just important to have goals and just starting right there is is the best thing you can do for yourself as a as a young single woman or even if you're in your 30s or 40s it doesn't matter that that's the the best place you can start and then as you start to you know get into relationships and you're thinking maybe thinking about getting married um communication is just the number one thing
0: obviously let me let me pause you there so let's get to that That's, the, yeah. cause that's like a whole new can of worms. So oh, yeah.
1: I want to break down this a little bit
0: first. So, sure. okay, financial education, like, what does that mean? Does that mean, like, taking a course? Does it mean just reading, like, a few books? Um, like, what do you think should be included in a financial education, whether formal or informal?
1: I think it, Uh, starting with things that affect your everyday life. So your, re, your works retirement plan, understanding how that works mm-hmm. um, is important. Um, so just knowing what the basic definition of a 401k is and how it, uh, you know, the, the tax implications mm-hmm. um, associated with retirement accounts like IRAs, Roth IRAs, that's important because um, every month you should be contributing. So um, also as far as your cash flow management, your budget, um, just understanding where your money is going. A lot mm-hmm. of people just have no idea how their bank account gets to zero every month. Mm-hmm. And the, it, it's just as simple as going through and seeing, okay, well, I spent $200 on this, $500 on that, and, and just knowing where your money is going and understanding um, how, what changes you need to make to improve your financial situation. And then, yeah, of course, reading, if you want to take a class, a lot of them are are super helpful just to kind of get an understanding of the terminology that's used in personal finance. Um, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, investing terms or, uh, different, you know, jargon that, uh, you see on CNBC, Mm -hmm. um, just, you don't have to know everything. It's just getting a basic understanding of, of uh investing of saving, um, how much you should be putting away every month um, th- those types of things are the best places to start for your financial education. Yeah.
0: And I know obviously you're recommending your book do you have other
1: um, personal finance books you recommend? Yeah, uh, I was just talking we, – we, you actually mentioned it with uh, uh, Ramit's book, I, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Oh, I that's my favorite
0: on, one. I love Suzu Orman, but that book is brilliant. <laughs>
1: it, it is brilliant, and he writes it in such a um, uh, – you know, a way that is very relatable. Yeah. And he doesn't use confusing terms. And he really breaks things down super well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would recommend I I will teach you to be rich. And it sounds kind of like it's like this gimmicky thing, but it's really not it's a great book to start with. And I I
0: I read the book a long time ago. But I do remember like also, he would tell you like, okay, this is an advanced section, if you don't care, skip it. And that way you just, you know, what works for you. But that's where I really learned for me the basic of basics of investing. Um, yeah otherwise, I don't know what, if I would have known
1: that, <laughs> yeah I also uh, recommend if you have like student loans or credit card debt, um Dave Ramsey's total money makeover um he i mean he's kind of like in your face a little bit, so mm-hmm. sometimes he comes off a little maybe a little too strong, but um He's a great person to read if, if you just don't know how to get a hold of your debt and how to start to create a plan to eliminate it and to dig yourself out of the hole. Um, so I definitely would recommend uh, his Total Money Makeover. He, he gives you just a step-by-step process of, of how to start to eliminate debt and then once you do eliminate that debt, what you can then do from there. So definitely a uh, total money makeover for sure. And then Susie Orman, uh, you can't go wrong with Susie.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like her. I have only read one of her books and it was like the one that was like young, broken, so, fabulous! I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Young, broken, <laughs> fabulous. That was actually the very first one I read after grad school. When literally the only money to my name was my leftover student loan money. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I guess and, I was pretty young, broken, fabulous
1: then. <laughs> and it's a great, it's a good book, and I don't always ag- agree a hundred percent of the time with like any of these authors, but it's just uh-huh. it's good to get different perspectives yep, from definitely. from different um, experts, just because you can kind of take and cho- you know pick and choose what. Uh, you know what advice to implement into your own life. And then finally, one book, it's it's not really a personal finance book, but it's a great book about how people become wealthy and it's called The Millionaire Next Door. And it's just about um uh, it's about how everyday people, people next door Become millionaires and and their habits and what they invest in and what they do and what they do for work and how they spend their money and how they invest their money all that and it's a really great uh, eye opening book on how um, you know just because somebody one neighbor makes three hundred thousand dollars a year that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be rich someday right. and how you know another neighbor who only makes seventy five thousand dollars a year. Could actually have a lot more money than that other neighbor, and and how that all works. So that's yeah. a that's a good book. I haven't read
0: that book, but I it's on my list for sure. And I can relate to that in a lot of ways because I I used to work in the nonprofit than political world, and I definitely had a lot of friends make a lot more than me, but I felt like I spent my money better. And so I was taking, you know, vacations that they weren't taking, and buying organic food at the grocery store. And they're like, how the hell how the hell do you afford that? And I'm like, well, I don't buy a lot of clothes, you know, because I don't really care about clothes. So it was just, um, so it was just, yeah. I don't know if I do everything or not. Uh, anyways, yeah, I would definitely, I'm gonna definitely read that book for sure. Um, yeah. And so you're getting into something else that I do want to come back later, which is the mindset um, right. around around money. But we'll get there. But before that, I want to um, ask you a little bit about um, an emergency fund because I know there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of information
1: like first of all, how much should we have in our emergency fund? So it's generally recommended that you have between three to six months of living expenses, um, monthly living expenses in, um, in a savings account or like a, a money market account somewhere where you can easily get it out. Um, so ideally, you'll have six months of living expenses in there. Um, if you can't, obviously, that's like kind of hard to just say, okay, here's like thousands of dollars and just throw it into an account. So what I normally tell people is to set a goal, um, to just open, open the account and you go online and actually like rename it emergency savings, emergency fund. Mm -hmm. So you you know, not to touch it unless it's a true emergency. And then to set, set a goal, um, of either like $500 or $1,000 and, uh, and just, automate your savings every paycheck or every month until you reach that $500 or $1,000. And then once you reach that, now you set a new goal of getting three months worth of expenses in there. And then once you reach that, then fully fund it with six months of expenses. And that really should be a priority over everything else because, um, emergency funds, uh, their importance cannot be understated. Even if you don't have, you know a fully funded an a, emergency account if something happens uh you're going to be so glad that you have at least maybe a little bit of cash in there to help cushion the blow and uh maybe save you from going into credit card debt or or you know taking a loan out against your 401k cuz you just mm-hmm. don't want to do that stuff so yeah.
0: if you have what if you have debt do you still so, make an emergency or uh, Yes.
1: So pay what you can on the debt, you know, make your payments, but still prioritize that emergency fund. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I get, like I said, start small. So if you can do a $500 fund or a thousand dollar fund, just get something in there to, you know, make sure you have a little bit of a cushion and then focus on the debt too. But, um, yeah, for sure. You don't, you do not, not want to get stuck with an emergency fund. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and then, for retirement accounts, can Mm -hmm. you, um, I used to be able to do this a lot better, but can you explain the difference between a 401k or a 503b if you work for a nonprofit and setting up your own like Roth?
1: Sure. Yeah. So what you like the 401ks and, and, uh, 403Bs, 457s, those, those are all 403B, through- that's what it's
0: called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> been a while since so <laughs> they worked on top of
1: it. They're what we called employer-sponsored. So that it is through your work. Your work yeah. will set that up for you, and then you contribute to it. Um, and then if you're lucky, your company will match, um, you know, a certain percentage or whatever. An IRA is an individual uh, retirement account. So with an IRA, you're setting that up yourself, and no matter where you're working or if you're switch jobs or whatever you're doing, you are responsible for the IRA and you can, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, it's not attached to your employer. So there's two kinds of, uh, well, main IRAs. So there's traditional mm-hmm. IRA and Roth IRA. And okay. it's basically the difference is uh, with traditional, it's uh, kind of a pay tax later scenario. And then Roth is like a pay tax now scenario. So uh, when you put money into a traditional IRA, when you take it out in retirement, that's when the IRS will will tax it um, against, you know, using your ordinary income tax rate. And then with a Roth IRA, you'll pay taxes on it in in the year that you contribute, and then it'll grow tax-free and you'll take it out tax-free in retirement. So um, the whole idea is that with, like with a Roth IRA, we tend to think that uh, younger people are going to be in a lower tax bracket than they will be when they're older and have accumulated a lot more wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, I, it, both IRAs, it's its good to have both. Um, mm-hmm. I would recommend having both. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're, they're just excellent tools for saving for the future. Okay.
0: So ideally, it's best to have both but younger people mm-hmm. benefit more from just paying taxes now rather than later
1: generally speaking generally speaking you will be in a lower tax bracket now and it, it's best to pay the taxes now and then let it grow tax-free and then you can take it out tax-free mm-hmm. when you're at least 59 and a half
0: but if you make a lot of money now
1: right it's right. better That's- to do
0: the opposite right to put so, it to put it yeah, the- put it in a, a traditional now
1: right Yeah. So with the Roth, there is income limitations, um, and they do change kind of yearly. So you have to, you know, just go on the IRS website or just Google, uh, Roth IRA income Mm -hmm. limits and, um, you know, and you can only contribute so much. And then if you make over a certain amount, you, uh, they kind of phase you out. Um, Mm. but, uh, yeah, yeah. So that that's the the downside of it. Um, But, uh, if anything at a minimum, I would say definitely participate in your employer's retirement plan, whether it's a 401k or 403b, whatever, um, definitely sign up for that. Uh, and if they do offer a match that you should put in at least the minimum to get the match, because you don't want to ever leave free money on the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. That was like one of the first things I did when I started my very first job. Um, yeah. Awesome. So a lot of people listening to this, well, I don't know if it's a lot, but a lot of my (laughs) clients, um, who I know, obviously better than the broader, my broader audience, um, have a goal of buying a house, Mm -hmm. Um, or are like toying with the idea of a house or want to know if they can afford a house, or if it's better to own a house or better to rent. So what would you tell someone who is considering buying a house? Like, what do they need to look at? What do they need to
1: have in place? It is tricky because it, it really depends on where you live. It Mm -hmm. depends on how much you make. Um, so I guess I, I bought my first house last year, like a year and a half ago. And, uh, it is, it is kind of an overwhelming, uh, decision to make and (laughs) (laughs) it's very difficult. But the first step I would think is, is you just really need to take inventory of your overall financial picture um, to kind of get a you know, how much debt do I still have left? Um, how much money am I making? You know, am I gonna own this house with is it just me? Is, are you owning it with a spouse? Um, you know, because that that makes a difference as far as you know are you do you have combined um, assets and all that. So um, first and foremost, it, I would suggest opening up a, a separate savings account to begin saving for a down payment and ideally, you would want to have 20% of the purchase price saved before you're ready for a house. So first you would need to know what range of, you know, can I afford a 250 dollars to $350,000 house or more or less kind of get an idea of, um, and there's tons of calculators online to kind of help, help you figure out what you can afford. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to your- ask that.
0: So like, how do you figure out your mortgage payment?
1: Yeah. So, uh, your mortgage payment is generally going to be your principal, um, interest taxes and insurance kind of all combined into Mm -hmm. one. Um, so you got to, depending on where you live, um, what interest rate you would qualify for. uh, There are, again, a lot of uh, calculators online that can help you kind of just get a range of, of what you might be able to afford. Mm -hmm. And then um, when you're ready to do that, um, and you have, you know, 20% well just about twenty percent saved you can then become uh, get go get pre-qualified for a mortgage um, with whatever lender you're you're gonna choose. Um, but yeah, twenty percent is kind of the key number because then you'll avoid what they call primary mortgage insurance. Um, so if you if you don't put twenty percent down, um, most lenders will um, make you insure your mortgage. so, yeah. My my that's husband's
0: that. a real estate agent. So I understand a little bit of this. I didn't know about PMI um, until recently. So, and I know that can be a few hundred dollars a month, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so would you recommend is, buying a house if you, if you didn't have the 20%? Um,
1: that's tough. I guess it, it's, it depends on your goals for the house. If you plan on staying there for a very long time, uh, then maybe maybe I would say okay, uh, go ahead. But if or if you're planning on um, using it as a rental property, um, then. Maybe it's, it's very hard to say yes or no, mm, definitely. Sure. That's okay. um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, this is but, not a yes or no black and white podcast. It's yeah, a lot of gray yeah. area. <laughs> My listeners know That's
1: that. <laughs> definitely a lot of gray area. I think just a good rule of thumb is to stick with the 20% down mm-hmm. payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are close to that, but not quite there, then may- maybe it's okay. If, if depending again on what your goals are, with okay. this house. Because well, once you get past
0: that 20% mark, mm-hmm. once you're paying your mortgage, then the PMI goes PMI away. PMI
1: goes away, right, right. And, and you know, if you, don't, if you can avoid PMI, like that's gonna save you, it's gonna save you a lot of money. So mm-hmm. definitely try to avoid it if you can. Okay,
0: so first thing is to set up a goal of saving for a down payment. What do you recommend in terms of um, credit score? you know, if credit scores aren't good or should it be at a certain level before you even consider buying a house?
1: Yeah. So credit scores go from as low as like 300 to up to like 850. Mm -hmm. Um, you want your credit score to be at least be in the 700s. Um, because if you have a credit score lower than like 650, 600, that's not good. You're going to get kind of just completely screwed on interest rates as far as anything, uh, whether you need a car loan or a new credit card or a mortgage, your interest rates are going to suck. So, uh, you want to really improve your credit score. Um, if you, the higher, the better. And and there's like a bunch of different factors that go into your credit score, mm-hmm. like your credit history, if you're making payments on time, um, how, how diversified your credit is. Um, so there's a lot of different things that, that go into it and, um, yeah, you definitely want to Get it as high as possible before applying for uh, a mortgage loan because it's it's really going to affect the, the the terms and the rates um, of of your mortgage. So, um, yeah, I, I write a little bit about um, ways to improve your credit score, and it, it mostly just has to do with you know being cognizant of mm-hmm. your of what you owe and, yeah. and when to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so I guess I guess to skip the step, knowing
0: what you can afford. Um, <laughs> Your saving for your down payment and then credit score. Anything else that's important to have in place or to consider um,
1: for someone who wants to buy a house? Um, yeah, I guess a lot of it is very um, more on like the personal side, like why do you feel now is the time to buy a house? So I always ask people, like clients of mine who are thinking about buying a house, so why do you feel this is the right time? Kind of really looking inward. And mm-hmm. is it is it, a lot of people, for them, it's like, it's, it's societal pressure. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I, well, I just got married and we have jobs. Like, we have to buy a house now. Well, no, you you might not need to buy mm-hmm. a house. Renting, renting might be more beneficial right now for your long-term goals. Um, so really asking yourself, Why do you want to buy a house if your answer is oh, I want to you know Place my roots down here and start a family and like this is where I see myself for a long time Then yeah, absolutely That's that's a good reason to buy a house or if you're really interested in real estate and you're thinking okay You know, I kind of see this as like a future uh rental property then Yeah, okay cool good reason Mm -hmm. but just knowing your reasons for wanting to buy a house because um I tend to think of houses more as a liability than an asset, um, at least for the first few years of ownership. And so, and it's a huge commitment and a huge decision. So you really cannot take it lightly. It's just, you know, it's like getting married, you know, -hmm, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's yeah. something you have to look past the romance of it. You have to look past the, um, you know, the societal pressures of it and, and really understand that this is a legally binding contract that is not easy to get out of. In fact, it's super expensive to get into and super expensive to get out of. So yeah. just, um, knowing your reasons is, is what I would say.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I I've, I've seen a lot of friends by house and, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not so convinced they asked themselves that question. And they end up spending a lot of money. Because mm-hmm. if you get into a point where like, you made an offer, and you're going through the contract period, but then it falls through it doesn't that didn't cost $0. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, there's still a lot of money that you have to put up front that you're never going to get back. Um, and so right. I, and I didn't, I never knew that until, you know, I, you know, my husband became a real estate agent. And I saw just kind of the process that you know, and he owns a couple of properties or rental properties. So just seeing that process kind of from the sidelines, but yeah, it's weird also, you know, when the toilet breaks, I don't just call the manager. <laughs> just like, oh my yeah. God, I have to figure this out myself. So yeah, there's exactly. definitely, you know, there's definitely pros and cons. And I know, um, one of my mentors actually is, um, quite, quite wealthy and she has never owned a property in her life. The only houses she owns are like for her kids. Cause they wanted a house. But other than that, like, she's like, my money's elsewhere. <laughs> yeah,
1: but she absolutely. she runs. So
0: it's, it's not like a rich, poor thing. It's really just a personal decision about like, what you want and what you want to be responsible for and what you don't want absolutely. to be responsible for. Um, yeah, cool. So I think this is good. I think people listening to this who want to buy a house have a lot of, you know, stuff to work with. So let's, um, let's move on. And I'd love to talk about money and partnerships. So mm-hmm. a lot of people listening, um, aren't necessarily, or probably not married, although some certainly could be, but most are single and or in a relationship that might be getting more serious. They're not really sure where it is. But like, can you talk a little bit about just like merging finances, how to talk about finances? When do you even start talking about finances when you're (laughs) dating someone? Um, I think even like the first date, like who pays, like that's a, like such a microcosm of like, a lot of like people's financial baggage. But anyways, I would just love to hear your thoughts on on that.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, this is like the trickiest thing ever, and I wish I could say, "Oh, on date number four, you need to discuss <laughs> this." And you know, when you've been dating for eight months, you need to discuss yeah. this. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> it's so, totally. It's just so different um, with every relationship, and and what I would say is, it you kind of know, you kind of just know when things are getting serious with a partner, mm-hmm. and. You know, if, if you guys are starting to talk about like moving in together or if the the word marriage at all comes up, then that's when that should be a trigger. Like you need to start talking about finances.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it doesn't have to be, you know, like a shameful or bad or scary discussion. Um it's just kind of talking about like, well, okay, so you know, a few years from now, how do you see us managing our finances? Are do, do you think we should combine them? Do you think we should keep them separate? What do you, you know, having like just mm-hmm. an open conversation about uh, really finding out what your partner's money values are, um, you know, their spending habits, if they believe in keeping finances separate or together. Um, that's, those are things that you really need to find out um, before you, you know, have an engagement ring on for sure. Yeah. Um, And, and it's just keeping it better or worse to,
0: to have, or do you have an opinion, I should say of keeping finances separate or
1: together? So I believe in having a hybrid. So I think you, it's, you know, for, I guess if you're married you know, you're going to have common financial goals. And in that case, for sure, definitely, um, you know, it's sometimes it's just easier to have like a, a joint checking account. And then, you know, like an enjoy a, a joint investment account or something. And for the most part, keeping it merged into one uh, will simplify your life. But at the same time, I also believe you should each have your own separate savings accounts, separate, um, in addition to ideally, in addition to your merged savings and checking and investment accounts, have your own ones as well. Um, Because I I hate to sound like like, you know, not a believer in fairy tales and romance but it's just you know you have to protect yourself and in case mm-hmm. something goes wrong you just never know it's it's good to have it's kind of just like think of it as like another way of diversifying your money yeah. uh, and so I believe I believe in having both merged and separate accounts mm-hmm. if that makes sense um, ideally. yeah
0: I mean that totally makes sense because like you know groceries are going out it's like you know it's like all the same money basically. But yeah, I I mean, for me personally, I have no interest in having totally merged accounts just because I have my own savings goals. And Mm -hmm. it's like, leave me alone, Stevie, it's my thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And
1: the key there is like, again, if you're if you do have separate accounts, and and I actually had met a couple that kept everything separate. Mm -hmm. And it worked for them because they had such great, open communication about their money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, people are like, well, aren't you worried that the the husband or the wife or whatever is going to be, you know, using money for, you know, this or that or spending money when they shouldn't be if they have separate accounts, and you can't monitor it. I go, well, that's just a a deeper trust issue. Yeah, I was gonna
0: and say like, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a trust issue. But also, it's like, I also don't have to ask permission when I you know, spend yeah. my money. It, but if it was like a big purchase, I would certainly talk about it with Stevie because right. it'll affect like him too. Of what we can, you know, if I'm going to spend, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars in my business, that might be a couple thousand dollars I'm not paying myself. And, you know, that affects him. So I would talk to him about that, but it's not for permission. It's just for
1: Yeah, it's just about have open dialogue. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think if you're really getting serious with somebody, you have to be 100% honest about your debt and whatever you owe, whether it's student loans or credit card debt, car loans. And just like you have a right to know what your partner's debt situation is as well. Uh, Because I mean, whether we like it or not, money related issues are still the number one cause of divorce. And even if when you're together, money related issues are the number one cause of stress in relationships. So, you have to discuss these things and you can't um, if you're embarrassed about, you know, owing a lot in loans or whatever um, you have to get over that because your partner has a right to know, just like you have a right to know mm-hmm. um, their situation. And and it's all about, you know, you're, if you're going to become a team, then you can't really be a team if you're hiding stuff like that, yeah. um, because it, it will eventually come back to bite you in the ass and mm-hmm. cause a lot more problems down the road. So save yourself the, the headache now and, and start having these conversations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and, and I guess like backing up earlier in her relationship, um, I just, I was listening to a podcast earlier. I don't remember what podcast it was, but they were talking about how like money conversations come up, can well, can come up really early in a relationship, like mm-hmm. literally on the first date about, who's paying and, like, can the guy, like, afford to, like, be funding all of these dates and, like, there's a bunch of, you know, stuff around that. And then even if you start dating someone, um, you know, like, sometimes you may not be able to, aff- you know, just having the conversation about who's paying for it, you know, after the first date. And then it's the second and third and fourth. Like, who pays for that? Who can afford what? So how do you navigate those types of conversations? Because that's, like, I mean, it can it's- be, like, deep stuff that you have to talk about really early on.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, it's never not going to be awkward in some regard um yeah. but i would suggest you know kind of if you can like make it lighthearted you don't have to be like super serious when you bring these things up you mm-hmm. know just be like be like hey man listen like i appreciate you you bought the first dinner i'm happy to buy the second dinner i don't expect you to have to pay for everything, yeah. and and you know, also, and then you know, make a joke about, oh, I, you don't expect me to pay for everything, right? And just you know, just make mm-hmm. bring it up in a way that is casual and positive, and not weird, yeah, <laughs> if <you can't>. yeah, <laughs> if you can, and and just um, you know, just kind of setting your expectations um you know putting them out on the table and saying you know listen I really appreciate you taking me out to dinner but um or I you know right now I'm, I have certain savings goals and I, I really can't afford to go out three nights a week um just be honest and it yeah. I think it seems when we have these conversations in our head beforehand um we get embarrassed and and you know our you know doubt ourselves and Are like oh man we're gonna I don't make as much Money as, as he does or uh, You know I, or I, I mean don't know More what money and I'm like embarrassed or, yeah. by it. <laughs> yeah Yeah right. or that that's Actually <laughs> that came up recently in, in a discussion I had where um, The the guy was Really kind of uncomfortable with How much his girlfriend was making Because he mm-hmm. just didn't make nearly As much mm-hmm. and You I you know i wish we could say i we live in a, a world where guys are going to have aren't going to have those insecurities yeah. but you know it it's it's common it's super yeah. common um but just i guess bringing it up in a positive way always try to be positive about it and not mm-hmm. be like you know listen i know you don't have much money but <laughs> yeah you don't want to do that you want to be you know make kind of maybe make suggestions like oh why don't we um why don't we stay in next week and i'll cook dinner or yeah. you know what we can watch Netflix and right. you know, things like that. Um, maybe make suggestions if, if you know, um, one person can't afford it. Um, right. yeah, just, yeah, just cause cause like
0: you could afford it doesn't mean you necessarily want to be spending all your money going out. Exactly. Anyways. Yeah. So it's just, again, it comes back to like values and where you want to be spending each dollar. Amen.
1: Yeah. And just, you know, just do your best to be kind and positive. This is mm-hmm. what I always try to tell people around any issue of money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, I want to move on to the
0: last topic and a little bit about money mindset and how it affects confidence and how we can use it to feel empowered, even if, you know, we don't think at least we have a lot of money. So can you talk a little bit about like, I'm just kind of I've been for me, personally, I've been doing a lot of work over the past year around my relationship to money and like, money is a spiritual practice and like, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So I'm just kind of curious to get, you know, your perspective, because you're someone who's like, very, like, nuts and bolts, like you, you know, let's talk about investments, and let's talk about 401ks, Mm -hmm. and this and that. Um, But I'm just also kind of curious to hear, like, how does mindset play into this?
1: So it's it's funny, because I wasn't always um, like this with money back Mm -hmm. when I was, you know, late teens, early 20s, and college and stuff, I was terrible with money. And Mm -hmm. I always had a negative relationship that, uh, you know, a, a mindset that there was never going to be enough money mm, and too. scarcity yeah, mindset, hardcore. <laughs> it, it's very difficult to change that. And mm-hmm. I read a lot of self-help books and, and throughout, you know, my twenties, I started to get more positive, um, and other aspects of my life. Um, just trying to, you know, I, I believe that however you react to negative situations um you can either react again negatively or positively and that and that change helps change your mindset so you you have a choice to um w- in money and in life to react positively to things mm-hmm. um and it's that's not easy to do with money but if you just always have a mindset of abundance and they kind of talk about this in that self help book the secret and it's like I, I read it mm. in college and I would not read it, was, it
0: actually. Oh, it,
1: it's mostly like Looney Tunes out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. But
1: the idea of it that um, you will attract whatever into your life, whatever you're thinking. Yeah. So if you. Yeah, I'm all um, about that manifesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you believe you have enough money and that um, money is not an issue and that you're going to attract more money into your life. Then it's not going to just automatically happen you have but it but it will set the wheels in motion for you to do things that will help bring more money mm-hmm. into your life and will um, help you develop a positive relationship to money yeah. and then to, to then use that to see money as a tool that you can use um, to reach your goals and and it's nothing more yeah um, we kind of let money take over it take it ruins our day and it or it you know makes our day depending on uh you know your situation and we can't let money dictate our life like that um we have to just see it as a tool to reach our goals
0: yeah that's one thing i always tell my clients is that money is um it's just energy it's neither positive nor negative it's Mm-hmm. It's just however we see it is like what we project onto it. So if it's super positive, that's you putting that positive energy on it. If it's negative, then that's you doing it as well. But it's just a tool, yeah, to. And I tell this a lot to my clients who feel guilty about maybe having enough or mm-hmm. maybe spending money on quote unquote frivolous things like going out to dinner or thinking they don't deserve to buy themselves things um, because they're suffering in the world. But, but like, it's not like the two are related. Um, right. And. Anyway, so I, I can go down like a whole long tangent with that because I've been doing a lot of this work myself for me, just on, on, on me. But yeah, it's just it's just energy and it's completely neutral. Like we're the ones who give it meaning like money itself isn't good or bad, which means if you have a lot of money or you have big money goals, like you want to make a lot of money or you want to buy a yeah. house or you want to have like $10,000 in your savings account or whatever, um, it doesn't make you greedy, doesn't make you... A rich bitch,
1: (laughs) right? Or anything
0: like that. It just you can be whoever you are now, and you can be abundant, and you can be giving and grateful and rich and have money. Yeah,
1: and and just to see, yeah, again, seeing money as a tool to help you become the best version of yourself. So, um, yeah, again, it, it doesn't have to have a positive or every time you see a dollar it doesn't have to be a positive or negative experience you can just say okay well this dollar has this job and Mm -hmm. it's going to help me reach this goal whether that's paying down a loan or uh saving for the future whatever um just to view money as a you know just a a utility um that's really important and that will um kind of help shape your overall big picture and um kind of help you get into a more positive mindset um you know and, and it's not easy because you you're still sometimes you still have to buy you know cheap dinners at the grocery store and you can't afford the the filet mignon or anything but mm-hmm. that's that's okay um you know it's it's a slow it's a progression and it's really um you know just working on yourself and and i that's why i i love reading like a lot of uh, like A lot of people, some people don't like it, but like Tony Robbins and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a big Oprah fan and just like, (laughs) one thing that's (laughs) really helped me is just
0: staying really positive about, or not positive, but more like empowering. So instead of saying things like, Oh, I can't afford that. Or that's too Mm -hmm. expensive because that disempowers me. Um, I say things like, uh, I'm choosing not to spend my money there. Right. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm putting it somewhere else because I'm saving or because I'm, you know, just buying, you know, organic food and I'm not buying mm-hmm. expensive clothes or whatever it is. Um, and that and that's really helped. And it seems like, oh, it doesn't really matter what your language is. But for me, that's just been a huge shift for me and changing my scarcity mindset. Right.
1: Because right. And it's about, making it or faking it till you make it, you know? So <laughs> exactly. I'm they, totally a big fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> like they say, if you, you know, if you smile, um, uh, eventually you, even if it's a fake smile at first, eventually you will feel a yeah. little bit better. Um, it's kind of that same thing where you, yeah. you may think it's kind of bullshit at the beginning. Um, but the more you tell yourself, okay, I'm choosing not to buy that expensive thing. The more you tell you, rephrase it in a positive way, eventually mm-hmm. you're going to believe it. Yeah. And, um, you're eventually going to feel good about yourself when you start reaching these financial goals. Um, and, And realizing that, oh, that expensive thing wasn't going to add any value to my life anyways, and only spending on things that bring you joy, that bring you great experiences, um, and not spending on things that um, just don't add any value to your life. definitely.
0: Awesome. I think this is a really great place to to wrap up. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. And before I let you go, I have two more questions. Um, So first, where can my audience find you and learn more about you?
1: I am all over the place. Um, I have my website, which is HoganFinancialPlanning.com. And on there, I've got all the information about my business, but I also have a blog. um, And I kind of update that weekly uh, or biweekly, depending on how how busy I am. (laughs) Um, And I also write a weekly column for uh, the feminist website, The Scold. And I am their in-house. I write about not only personal finance, but like other stupid stuff like uh, reality TV and um, sometimes sports and things. It's funny. It's it's a reality TV is my guilty pleasure. So <laughs> yeah. I, I'll probably yeah.
0: read sure, your
1: your. We're we're your big coming. Bachelor fans over
0: there. So. Oh, me too. <laughs> Me too. I won't, go, uh, I won't, I won't bother my audience with more bachelor talk cause the season just <laughs> ended. So I was talking about it before. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I can't,
1: I, I just can't even wait for the next season. <laughs> um, I also have a, I have a podcast, uh, called get it together with Katie Hogan. And it's, um, uh, mostly just about, again, it's kind of based on my book. Um, Uh, and it's about money and career and I try to talk to as many people who I deem you know have it together um, so that they can offer their expert advice on on a bunch of different topics so it's a it's a kind of a fun show Um, and then again yeah my book is on Amazon it's called The Millennials Guide to Getting Your Shit Together Um, and yeah and it's available in Kindle and paperback. Awesome
0: and my very last question oh and by the way everyone listening um, all those links are in the show notes at com forward slash podcast. So you can um, grab that or Google Katie Hogan with a C, not a K. Yep. Katie Googling, with a C. <laughs> if you're Googling her. Um, okay. So my last question is, what is your favorite way to treat yourself? I asked this, I'll tell my guests.
1: I love to go get a massage. Oh That's yeah. yeah. And nice. you know, it's like one of those things where I, w- I wish I could do it like weekly or, you know, but um, I, you know, I at least try to get one every few months um it's my favorite thing to do it's just so relaxing and to recharge your battery it's yeah, great definitely i
0: i need a massage right now that's been hurting <laughs> anyways awesome well thank you so much for coming on to the show i'm positive my audience will love this and i'm just so grateful for your time and your expertise well, thank you so much for having me i appreciate it thanks for listening to the love life connection podcast remember... Remember this, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You aren't broken. You don't need to be fixed. And even if you've never had the relationship you want before, it doesn't mean you can't have it now.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.